Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Before I go too far into my sermon this morning, I want to issue a public apology to my son Joshua, uh, because the other night uh, he and I were having a conversation, and I made him a promise that uh, I would not refer, I would stop referring to him so much when I preach or teach. Um, I'm sorry. That's today's not the day that's going to happen. <laughs> The reason, the reason why I bring up my uh, relationship with my son Joshua is because Joseph's story is one of adoption. And, okay, everybody, on three. One, two, three. Aww. That's a, that's a picture of Lori and I with Joshua when he was two, uh, when he first uh, came into our lives. So, uh, Joseph's story is one of adoption. And as many of you know, Lori and I uh, adopted Joshua a little more than 12 years ago. Uh, While we are not his biological parents, we did lovingly accept him into our family and committed to raising and caring for him for the rest of our lives. Watching Joshua grow up and mature as the young man that he is has honestly been one of the greatest privileges Uh, I've ever had. And he has improved my life tremendously just because I get to be his father. See, this is what happens with Joseph. He is called by God to care for a little boy that's not naturally his. So as uh, as was previously noted, our scripture today comes from the first first chapter of Matthew. Uh, So if you're still there, uh, look at it with me again. We're going to look. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 1, uh, 18 through twenty-five this morning. So I want to start by just pointing out what verse eighteen says. It says, "Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place uh, in this way: when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit." So the chances are pretty good that you guys all know the story of Mary really well because she's the Virgin Mary. She gets all the press. She gets all the stage time. She gets all the sermons, right? She's the one that gets all the, uh, the praise. However, her, her husband Joseph is one of the least talked about characters in all of the Bible, One of the main reasons why he's not talked about very much is because he doesn't appear to live for his entire natural life. He appears to die fairly young. Another reason is that we we don't know much about Joseph, simply because in all of the Bible, in all of Holy Scripture, Joseph never says not one single word. That's why Bible teachers or scholars often refer to him as shy Joseph or quiet Joseph. And so for that reason, people don't spend much time talking about or preaching about Joseph. 
But with that in mind, I'd like to take a couple of moments to examine why Joseph is such an important part of our nativity story and why we should celebrate him along with Mary. First, a few things that most people typically do know about Joseph are that he was a carpenter by trade. He was Mary's husband. He served as Jesus' earthly father. He likely died very young, as I pointed out a minute ago. He was a very righteous man, and he was also a descendant of David. Now, those last two points are integral to the importance of Joseph uh, in, our, in the, the birth of Jesus. Isaiah 7.13 and 14 provides two prophecies regarding Jesus. Isaiah writes, And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to, be, to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. So 700 years before the manger, Isaiah prophesies that, that the Messiah will come from the birth line, the, birth, the bloodline of King David, and be born of a virgin. See, Mary, of course, took care of that first part. She was the virgin chosen to have the baby. The fact that Joseph was chosen to be his earthly father is why Matthew takes so much time in the first 17 verses of chapter 1 to explain to us the genealogy of Christ. Look at me with, uh, for a, in a few verses here uh, in Matthew 1. Matthew 1 through 6 uh, say this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, and Boaz uh, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of uh, Solomon by his wife Uriah. Now, there's, there's two reasons why I wanted to read those. First of all, to impress you all with my knowledge of biblical names. <laughs> and second, this genealogy here in Matthew 1 establishes Abraham through David. But notice that it carries on down into verse 16 of chapter 1. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. See, uh, Matthew wants us to understand that the Messiah, this baby in Bethlehem born to Mary and Joseph, actually does fit the criteria to be in the bloodline of King David because of his dad, Joseph. In the context of our story, Joseph is, at this point, betrothed to Mary. 
Now, sometimes we have a tendency to look at Scripture through 21st century eyes, right? And that's the way that we interpret it. Most people believe or kind of picture that Mary and Joseph got engaged. They were probably 22, 25, 26 years old, right? However, be with me here. Mary was most likely, as scholars point out, in first century, Mary was probably only between the ages of 13 and 15. That's pretty young, right? But that's also kind of how they did it back then. In first century Jewish engagement culture, when you got engaged, it wasn't just the middle stage of your relationship. They didn't start dating and then get married and then the engagement fell in the middle where they were planning a ceremony. That's not just the middle stage. In Jewish culture, the first step was engagement. Now, this was usually a contract arranged between families. The parents determined whether the couple would be suitable for one another. And this arrangement was often made when they were children. And that was often set up by a matchmaker. It's usually arranged without the couple ever meeting or knowing one another. Now, this might have been the case with Mary and Joseph, since he was from Bethlehem and she was from Nazareth. However, this arrangement wasn't binding. The man or woman could back out of it without consequence if either one of them decided they couldn't or didn't want to go through with the marriage. Now, the second step of the process, of the engagement and wedding process, is where we find the hero of our story, Joseph. They're in the betrothal part. That's where Mary and Joseph are. And the only way a betrothal could be terminated is through a divorce. For all practical purposes, the couple was considered husband and wife, even though they didn't live together as a married couple or consummate their relationship. The betrothal period would last about a year, and during this time, the couple started to spend more time together getting to know one another. Now, the third step in the process is when the couple actually came together and became officially husband and wife and began their life as a married couple. Basically, the third step is just the bride packing all of her stuff into the back of a Volkswagen Beetle, driving it over to Joseph's house and dropping it off, and then they can start doing the things all the married couples do, like fight about the thermostat and when you're... Spouse says they don't care what the, what's for dinner. They don't know what they want. That you know you got to try to figure that out, right? All right, all right. I, <laughs> I I digress. I digress. Back to our back to our story. So when we read that Mary and Joseph are engaged, for all intents and purposes, Mary and Joseph were married, but they weren't yet to engage in the gift. Of lovemaking. And so, if Mary had had sex with another man, it created not just a life changing situation, but rather a life ruining scandal. See, Mary, the one that he loved with all of his heart, his future wife who would raise his kids, had disobeyed God. She had completely dishonored her family. She had brought total shame and total disgrace on Joseph. Joseph would be laughed at, mocked, 
and even shunned within his own community. This would be considered such a horrible sin that according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, Joseph could legally have her stoned to death. That didn't happen a whole lot, but it was legal. What was more common would have been for him and his what uh, would have been him and his embarrassment. Uh, you know, they, he didn't want to be shamed, so when everybody else would look at him and say, Joseph did it, he would bring her before the city council. They would declare whether or not she was guilty and they would clear his name. Unfortunately, when a woman was in that situation, she was pretty much destined to just give her body away to help support her family and herself. Most of the time, someone shamed like that would become a prostitute. Joseph is in a horrible place here. You see, the woman of his dreams had apparently betrayed him. And now his next actions would ruin her life even more. So what do we know about him? We know that Joseph is a righteous man. And he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. He didn't want to shame her. And so he thought about breaking the engagement off quietly in our culture, uh, you know, just, just keeping everything down. You know, just keeping everything hush-hush. What he didn't realize here is that what is potentially the most, the lowest moment uh, in his life is also about to become one of the holiest moments in his life. So consider Joseph. He's a guy, he's probably 18, 19 years old. He's going through life, he's working hard, he's living for God, and he's getting ready to move in with and start a family with his new wife. And now he gets devastating news. I want to see if I can help you get a really clear picture of maybe how Joseph felt. Let me, uh, let me show you through, the message, through Eugene Peterson's uh, The Message Bible how he translates verse 18 and I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that Joseph is somebody in your family or someone that you care very, very deeply about. Verse 18 says this, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before they enjoyed their wedding night, Joseph discovered she was pregnant. There's only one word that can possibly describe how Joseph felt, and how you would feel for him. It's devastated. His bride-to-be has gone away on a four-month vacation to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and she came home pregnant. Of course he thought about divorcing her. He had no other choice. He's racking his brain. He's desperately trying to come up with a solution. That's when something amazing happens. Look at verses 20 through 25 with me. Uh, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord God had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did exactly as the angel commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. So here's Joseph. He's trying desperately to figure out what to do. He doesn't want to embarrass her publicly. He doesn't want to shame her, but at the same time, he's trying to save his reputation. We have to understand that when we read that Joseph was a righteous man, I want you to understand that that meant he was intimately, intimately connected with God. His preeminent focus was to live for God, do what God wanted, and bring God glory. So read into that what was going on. Joseph is deeply, madly in love with God, and everyone around him knows it. Of course Joseph would be afraid of offending God and violating the Torah, but it's more than that. Joseph would be fearful of losing his reputation. He would be afraid of what everyone would think about him. Joseph knew about his own doubts when Mary told him about the angel. There's no way people in his town would believe an angel came to a poor couple in an obscure village and caused the conception of a child in the body of a virgin teenage girl. It's too far-fetched. No one's believing that. He knew that if he married her, his friends would never accept her. His family would never accept her. They would never believe his account of what happened. He would never again be invited into people's homes, be given their business. He would never be admired or respected as a lover of the Torah. If he committed himself to this baby, to the one who would be known as Jesus, he would do so at an enormous sacrifice. His whole reputation, his work, the work of his lifetime, it would all be trashed. The angel says, do not be afraid. And Joseph did what the angel commanded him. In submitting himself to God through the angel's instructions, Joseph does two things. First, he took Mary into his home to be his wife. That's a legal step. It meant that he was publicly claiming her and her situation. In verse 25, it says that he named the baby. That's a legal step too. This meant that he was publicly adopting the child, that he said that he would stand up, that he would be that child's father. Joseph has now deliberately tied his destiny and his reputation to the lives of two stained people, Mary and this baby. Now his days as a righteous man are over, and whatever the future has for him, it's not going to be polite society or respectability or public admiration. I want you to pay close attention to the words of verse 24 here. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. If there's one statement that we should all desire to be true of ourselves, it's that we did as God commanded us. We were obedient without understanding any of the details to come. 
You see, Joseph proves to us that you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. You don't have to know every detail. You don't have to know that everything's going to work out in the end. You don't need to know that God was there from the very beginning. Because when you think about what Joseph didn't know, and he hardly didn't, he didn't hardly have any information at all. Joseph was courageously obedient to God's call in the face of what is potentially public humiliation and shame. From from Joseph's courageous obedience, we learn three key things. First, there is a cost for the call of God on your life. In this story, we see that God is not looking for public approval when he wants something to be accomplished. What everybody thinks is not important to God's plan. If you choose to live a life of obedience to God, there are going to come times in your life where your public reputation might take a few bumps or bruises along the way. Sometimes what people think about you is the opposite of what you know to be true. Your life might become the subject of gossip, of rumor, of speculation. People might say things even when the only facts that they have come from another gossip, another hate monger, another backbiting person. Comes with the territory. It's part of the cost of following the call of God. We see this happen all the time in the media. There's always a rush to judgment when someone else might have a problem. And we do so before we have all the facts. It's a 24-hour news cycle. We got to talk about something, right? People speculate. They have no actual knowledge of the truth. And more often than not, someone's someone's reputation is going to be ruined regardless of whether or not what they're being accused of is true. And trust me, there's never an apology that's going to come from that. It's just what the public does. It's what people do. They jump to conclusions whether they have all the facts or not. This, this is undoubtedly what, what the public did to Mary and Joseph. The people in their town, at their temple, their family, the marketplace, they all had their opinions. And guess what? All of their opinions, dead wrong. In the same way, the church is not called to judge, but to hold one another accountable We're not to cast judgment because we don't always know the entire situation and we don't see what's actually in someone's heart. We may know someone's actions were wrong, but we don't see the reasoning behind it until they reveal their heart to us. See, Joseph could have made everyone's opinion of him his top priority, but if he would have, He would have turned his back on God and the call of God on his life. You see, there's a cost to answering God's call. The cost is that sometimes some people won't understand. They might draw a conclusion based on limited knowledge of the circumstances and get the wrong idea altogether. That's why it takes so much courage to be obedient. 
You have to be willing to say, it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. To me, it only matters what God thinks and what God wants for my life. This is the attitude that the Apostle Paul had in Galatians 1 when he says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, courageous obedience means that you're willing to count the cost of the call of God in your life. The second important thing, the second key thing that we learn from Joseph's courageous obedience is that character is more important than reputation. You've heard the, you've heard the saying, your reputation is who people think you are. Your character is who you actually are. You see, God chose Joseph and Mary because of who they actually were, not because of what people thought about them. There are many people who have mastered the art of perfecting their, perf- their perfect personal public persona. That's four Ps in a row. They work at their reputation all the time and protect it no matter what the cost. They will do anything, anything to keep it going. And in the end, all they have is their reputation. There's no substance. There's no depth. Bruce Willis made a movie a long time ago that I would guess that not many people have watched. It's called The Kid. In this movie, Bruce Willis plays an image consultant who knows how to play the game of public opinion. On the surface, he appears to have it all. He's handsome, he's well-dressed, he's successful, he's rich, he's influential. But behind the image, behind what everybody saw, there was no substance to his life. It was all a a facade to cover up his personal insecurities. Now, how often do we do that? How often do we put on this really great public face because we've got some stuff going on in our lives that we we just don't want to share with people? So your reputation is others' perception of you. The public sees a one-dimensional picture of you when they look at your life. Your character is what God sees when he looks at you because God sees past the illusion into the reality of who you are. If you have character, God can use you. Even if no one else can see your potential, God does. God can use you whether you have a positive or a negative character. You see, God can use your negative character for his good the world may think you're a wonderful person when God knows you're, you're not really a great person. Your character isn't great. We want to see the positive character that God can develop in us when we help him to, when we allow him to refine us so we can be used for his glory. So even if you're sitting here this morning and you go, yeah, that's me, I'm, I'm putting on this great public front but down inside, I'm just, I'm, I'm probably not a great person. So I want you to understand that God not only can use you, but God wants to use you. By submitting our lives to Christ and to, by submitting our lives uh, to the, the salvation process, 
See, God will come into our lives and he will begin to transform us. He will begin to refine us like gold in the fire. And he'll scrape off all the, the stuff on top so that what's left is good character, godly character. If you have character flaws, the goal is not to learn how to hide them, but what to learn from them so that you can grow and be more effective and open about how God is calling it. It's not enough to just cover up our flaws as if they don't exist. We need to be changed from the inside out. You see, Joseph was a man of character, a righteous man. So when he faced this situation regarding Mary's pregnancy, his character kicked into high gear. And he sought to protect Mary, not worry about ruining her reputation or his. However, that's not the goal. Instead, the goal, Joseph's goal, was to honor God with his actions, and God would see the positive character in Joseph. That's why God was able to use Joseph. Absolute obedience takes courage because we must be willing to protect our character even at the cost of sacrificing our reputation. That's why God was uh, able to, uh, to use Joseph. Finally, uh, the third thing that we learn uh, by, from Joseph's courageous obedience is that it opens the door for God to be radically involved in our lives. It's really challenging to play what-if games with Scripture, especially stories like this one, because you get the idea that when, you, when we look at Scripture, we see the whole picture. We see the entire passage. We know how the Christmas story ends. But when Joseph is faced with this situation with Mary, and he goes to sleep and this angel appears to him, he didn't know the end of the story. So it's difficult for us to play these what-if games because they didn't know. They didn't know exactly how God had, what God had planned for him. But think about it. What if Joseph had, not, had been obedient? What if he decided to save his reputation and disgrace Mary? What would have happened? Well, by law, she, would have been, she could have been stoned to death. And the child would have died right along with her. Joseph's disobedience could have brought, an, uh, brought God's plan of salvation to a screeching halt before it even got underway. He could have played a role in the, God of, the Son of God's death before the Son of God was even born. You see, the ramification of Joseph's obedience went far beyond his personal life. His act of obedience not only changed his life, but it changed the world around him forever. Because of Joseph's courageous obedience, Jesus was brought into this world and through his life and death paid the price for our sins. If Joseph and Mary had not been willing to obey God, God's plan wouldn't have been able to go forward. Now we know as Christians that's not what happens, right? We know from Scripture that Mary and Joseph did submit, that they didn't care about their public reputations. 
And we know by studying God and what he's capable of that if things wouldn't have gone right with Mary and Joseph, he would have picked someone else. And his plan for salvation would have still gone forward. We need to keep this in mind because the consequences of our obedience are not always immediately apparent. It's the idea of throwing a rock into a still pond. It's going to ripple out. The action has ripples that go out and affect everyone else around you. You may not be able to see it from this side of eternity, but the fact is your obedience to the call of God on your life could change the lives of a hundred or just one or maybe even thousands or millions of people. Have you ever heard of a man named Mordecai Ham? See, Mordecai Ham was a simple revival preacher from the early 20th century who traveled primarily throughout the South preaching in a tent. There were dozens and dozens of people like him, preachers like him in those days. And though he was reasonably well known for his time, nothing about him would qualify for him for inclusion in the history books. The year is 1934. The city is Charlotte, North Carolina. There had been a persistent rumor around town about a particular house across the road from one of the local high schools and how it became a den of iniquity. Mordecai Ham, a traveling preacher, had been making a really big deal about it and the fact that sexual immorality was rampant in the area, particularly among young people. One version of the tale had it that some of the high school students were planning some kind of a demonstration out at the makeshift tabernacle on the edge of town where the old preacher was night after night railing against the city's sins. The, the whole thing finally convinced one previously reluctant young man to go to one of the revival meetings to check things out for himself. At the end of that night, Mordecai Ham issued an invitation for people to come forward and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, just as he did every night. But that night, that night in 1934 in Charlotte, North Carolina, there was a teenage boy in the audience that the world knew nothing about. That boy came forward to make a profession of faith, turning his life over to Christ. That boy was Billy Graham who, as you all well know, went on to lead an extremely successful and dynamic evangelistic ministry, leading countless people to Christ. So when Mordecai Ham responded to God's call to preach, he had no way of knowing the impact his obedience would have on the entire world. So when you say yes to God, your life changes forever. What's more, your obedience to his call has a ripple effect that you may never see the end of. It changes the lives of everyone around you in ways that you may never know on this side of life. We see through Joseph's life that the rewards of obedience and sacrificing a public reputation to follow God, they're worth the cost. It takes courage to be obedient. This courage comes with a price. 
but it also comes with a reward. Your obedience in its own way fulfills God's plan and can help change the world forever. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.